It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the Monday morning edition. We are now in this weird spot where sometimes this is going to be a game recap and then a game preview and not, but it's basketball season also. Got a whole lot of football to talk about on this podcast. It's going to be a loaded one, <clears throat> so y'all better listen fast. Justin Ferguson here, and um, I think I'm in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, I'm about halfway uh, back between Boone and Auburn. Uh, we'll definitely talk about Auburn App State uh, to kick off the show. Uh, before we go on, let's let's finish the intros. Uh, Dan Peck of the Dan Peck Multimedia Empire uh, holding it back down in Auburn. How are we doing, Dan? I'm doing all right, Justin. You're in Horseman Country, is probably wh- yes. how you can you can describe it, right? You're in, yeah. And I'm listening to an audiobook right now, like on my drive because this is just a long drive, and like you got to do something. And apparently, Spotify has audiobooks now included, which I, I just made that discovery uh, recently. And so I'm re- I'm listening to a book that's basically going through like mid '80s professional wrestling and uh yeah i just got to like literally as i was pulling in to the hotel in greenville they were like the the narrator was talking about like the formation of the four horsemen in jim crockett which is pretty 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 cool stuff well enjoy enjoy your time there and and again i, I want to say too seasons greetings to one and all from the peck pack absolutely absolutely also joining us editor engineer podcast extraordinaire man about town Painter Sharpless checking in from the underground bunker. Uh, how are we doing today, Painter? Doing well. Doing very well. Painter, your uh, your friends are trying to get me to go join your uh, group chat, and I, I still think that's a very dangerous proposition. I know I was a hot topic on Saturday night with with some of my takes. Uh, I think they tried that about two years ago, and you politely declined. <laughs> I think they've decided that it's time to try again. I mean. You just got to keep at it, I guess, I guess. Uh, but yeah, y- y'all know who you are. Shout out to shout out to all, all of those in, in painters uh, circle. Uh, and then all of you in the inner circle, by the way, uh, Auburn Observer subscriptions. We are doing what I have uncreatively called uh, a, a December to observer, which all that means is five dollars a, a month or fifty dollars a year. We're just knocking off the price a little bit for the holiday season, and I do that just so make it a little bit easier, more of a round number for those who want to give gift subscriptions. And as I put out <clears throat> on Friday in the mailbag, if you give a gift subscription and you're already an Observer subscriber, send me an email, uh, and I will uh, hook you up with some with some free time on your account, just as a way of saying thanks for giving the Observer this time of year. So that's going to run all the way through the end of the year. Um, you know, it'll expire on December 31st. So, you know, pre-Christmas, during Christmas, post-Christmas, you'll have plenty of time to do that. All right, let's get to it. Uh, I have been in Boone, uh, North Carolina this weekend for Auburn's matchup at App State. Uh, final score, uh, App State 69, Auburn 64, Tigers falling in Boone. Um, this was a game where Auburn, it just felt like at some point they were going to get out of second gear or first gear on offense. And they really never did. Um, they hung in there with upset. They were down by 11 at one point in the second half, cut it all the way to three. And then once again, it just seems like a carryover from maybe last year, maybe the last couple of years. Auburn just having a hard time getting over the hump and executing late on offense. They had three straight possessions down by three. Didn't score on any of them. App State, which to their credit, hit some tough shots in the second half, uh, pulled away. They stormed the court. Uh, huge game in, in, in Boone. Right off the top, I want to say, uh, shout out to the uh, the Inner Circle members who I saw in 
Boone, I saw and talked to uh, several of you. Shout out to Alan. Uh, you know, shout out uh, to uh, several several others of you that we were out there. I, I did talk to Alan a good bit before um, tip off, and that was really cool to kind of see. Um, a lot of y'all who were in the Carolinas made the trip over. Uh, Brent, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Uh, <laughs> I forgot. I, somebody, I had, have you ever had those things before, like where you meet somebody and, and then like it's been a few years, and when they come up to you, you you accidentally say, "Hey, nice to meet you." I did that today, um, so that was great. But shout out to all the Inner Circle member, members. Boone was awesome. Great trip. I highly recommend it if you ever have an opportunity to go to Boone, do it. Um, great crowd, also. Uh, App State. This was this was really the biggest game home game they've ever had there, outside of the first one they ever did at that building, which is they hosted North Carolina. Um, so they hadn't really had a crowd quite like this one. They were up for it all game. Student section was rowdy. Crowd was loud. Uh, they went back and forth. Uh, with, with Auburn fans all game. Really, really good environment. And Auburn in there in a true road game in a true road test falls short and. I guess if you put it in the context, guys, of the week that was in college basketball where all a lot of really good teams fell in games that they shouldn't have lost, Duke losing twice, Villanova losing twice to Philly teams. Uh, you had Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky lost to a UNC Wilmington team that it, that App State beat by 30 uh, earlier this season. So, I mean, it's just it's that chaotic kind of time of year in college basketball. Auburn falls victim to it. But this one right here, it's not going to – kill you at all it's just your second loss of the year it's a missed opportunity but i think ultimately it needs to be a learning experience for auburn because right now they are in an offensive rut uh especially shooting the ball uh they started pretty well from deep this year first four games of the year shooting about 39 percent from deep last last three games are uh, under 20 percent. i mean just just rocks uh throwing getting thrown up there and and I mean, these are open looks that aren't falling, and defenses are really giving Harvard, Auburn a hard time in their half-court execution. This is a time early in the year where Auburn's got to adjust and learn um, from it, and uh, I don't. I ultimately don't think it's going to be a bad loss. I think App State's going to be a team that's going to be in the mix in the Sun Belt this year. But, you know, it was one you would love to have, uh, and uh, no shame in losing on the road to a top 100 team. But this was a game that was definitely gettable for Auburn, and, and they fell short, and they're going to have to learn some tough lessons from it. Well, first of all, Justin, I would say that that the trick to never saying nice to meet you to someone that you've met before, because in the radio business, I would encounter people that I, I hadn't seen them in a very long time. I, you know, it, it, it happens. And so I, I use nice to see you for everyone, even people I'm meeting the first time, right? And so so that way... It's always nice to see you, and it's never nice to meet you. And yeah, I may have forgotten. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Can, you, that's a that's steal, a good trick. You can steal nice to see you uh, for uh, for for anyone now. Uh, as far as uh, the 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 App State game, um, I would I'd be curious to know uh, if Bruce has said anything about the shot selection, uh, especially from the guards, because I thought yeah. at times, um, especially with Janai and Jalen. Uh, playing well against the App State defense, it felt like uh, there'd be shots that were kind of rushed from the perimeter, and, uh-huh. and 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 it seemed like there were times during the game watching on TV where Bruce was visibly unhappy with his own team. So I, I yeah, I'd be I'd be I don't know, kind of curious to know your thoughts on it, and then also if if Bruce has had anything to say about it, Justin. Yeah, Bruce mentioned that Aiden, you know, rushed some shots and forced some things there especially like there's the one really bad one that he took late in the game and you could just tell everybody on the floor for Auburn was like uh why did you take that um 
you know, Bruce said basically after the game, he was like, Aiden took a really bad shot. He'll learn from it. He'll obviously learn from it. He's not going to go two for 10 very often. And obviously it was big for him to come back here playing in North Carolina. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll shoot it better. Um, the, the shot selection was tough. I felt like there were some times also, you know, early in the game, you know, Denver Jones hunted a couple of shots. He had a, he had a couple of, of, of three pointers, not fall. He finishes over five of this game. And it just felt like, you know, Auburn forced at times just getting frustrated and, and guys wanting to try to get back into rhythm, trying to get back into the flow of things and you force it and you get out of, you get out of whack there. Um, you know, it, Auburn was going to need to hit some threes maybe down the stretch to really have a good chance in this one. Now, Janai Broom played really well when he wasn't shooting from deep. Broom was 0-3 from deep, but he was 10-13 from inside the line, 1-7 from the line. And that is that is just going to – in a game where you lose by five, that one just – that that really sticks up. But Auburn as a team did not shoot very well from the free throw line. I think th- they had three other – four other misses, I believe, uh, from the line. But 21 for th- 21 and 13 for Broom. App didn't really have an answer for him, but on the flip side, it was just one of those things where like Auburn had open looks, you know? And so, yes, Dan, like there were times I thought during the game where like, yeah, that was forced. That shouldn't have happened. But I mean, how many times? I mean, Auburn goes, Auburn shoots, what, three of 27 of this game, 11%. How many, how many of those 24 misses, how many of those were open? I would say it could probably be half or more than half. I mean, those, those were clean looks. And it got even more frustrating is that when Auburn tightened up his defense in the second half, some after after a slow start and was getting a hand in the face of some of these App State guys, they still knocked him down. And that's that's really, really rough. And you can look at it one of two ways. Number one, Auburn's got to figure out how to how to counter on offense. And that's something I asked Bruce about after the game. And he said, um, he said, basically, there's early in the season, there's no take on you the book's not written what happens is when they re- recognize what you're good at and early in the season you know you're going to go to your strengths then what defenses do is they'll scout and they'll take it away the question is did you have something else that you're good at to counter them taking away your strengths part of it is our execution and part of it was they did a nice job with their scout and their preparation to bother us offensively Auburn's got to learn how to counter punch that's going to be a huge key moving forward they have six days before they play Indiana secondly though like I, I think the other thing is it does say a little something in this game that Auburn shot so poorly from from deep, from the field, from the from the line. They missed they missed a good number of bunnies as well in this game, like close range shots. And they still only lost by five. Again, you, no silver linings, no moral victories, anything like that. You, you you no one wants to hear that kind of junk right now. But I will say that like when you shoot terribly and still have a chance to win, I think that says something about this basketball team. I'm curious to see if if App State has provided any sort of blueprint that other teams can follow as far as daring Auburn uh, to shoot uh, three point shots and and although like you said you know maybe I mean some of those were pretty good looks the yeah you just got to hit them the the commentator uh, and by the way not crazy about uh, commentators remotely for for this one I thought and for a game for a game with such a great atmosphere they really missed the mark on that one. Yeah, they, they really mess, messed up there. And and I guess it's because they wanted uh, guys that call national television games uh, regularly uh, be, being the, the voices because App State uses for uh, games that air on ESPN Plus, Sunbelt Conference, men's and women's basketball games. App State uses local guys and they're very good. 
like I've watched I've watched App State mm-hmm. before on Plus, and you know I would have I would have been okay with using them. They might have been a little bit biased towards App State, but I think it would have it would have added to the atmosphere. But but former uh, was he the Louisville coach uh, uh, Paget? I think that's the mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's right. He was the 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 player there who, uh, but he used the term settling a lot as far as yeah. uh, Auburn's Auburn's offense uh, shooting. Uh, the uh, the the long range shots and yeah I, I wonder if there's a uh, if if there's some truth to that yeah I think they definitely can get a lot better obviously with with their shot selection ball movement wasn't cra- crazy good early um yeah it's just they got to have a counter punch like when teams try to take away some of what Aiden Holloway can bring to the table or some of your guards what they're doing because both it was both Aiden and, and um you know Denver both struggled in this game to to score. What like what are you going to do to counter? Uh, speaking of settling, like I thought there were some times there were some DHOs where Auburn kind of forced them for some three pointers instead of trying to drive and and score. I think they were just trying to maybe stretch out the defense a little bit more. It was it, it was a rough showing there, um, and, and Auburn's just got to have more than Jani Broom. Jani Broom, especially in these early season matchups is going to be a real weapon, and he's playing extremely well. Um, you know he, you know. Once he missed, you know, three of those threes early, he stopped taking them. He's got to get better at the free throw line. Everybody knows that because uh, that's a really, really rough game to have there. But you got to have more than that. Like Auburn's defense, I think, has improved, but they are not good enough to just lean on that. Like they're going to have to play better offense, especially when you have some of the young players they have in the backcourt and these new players in the backcourt. As Pearl said after the game, App State kind of lined him up and and went after him. Went after Aiden Holloway a few times. You know, got out of position there down the stretch. Auburn ran that two guard lineup, that two point guard lineup. Had Trey at the two, and, and Pearl said like there were some plays and there were some possessions where it just you knew Trey wasn't where he he needed to be, where he was supposed to be. Hadn't played that as much. That's something else. If they're going to run to that run that two point guard lineup uh, more often in the future, which I think it's a really good look for him. That's going to be something I have to tighten up on as well, um, and get better at. A couple of things I really liked uh, in this game. I mean, early you had that three-minute stretch where Auburn went uh, uh, le- leading up to the App State timeout, right? Where Auburn extended the the early lead. I thought that was it was, a, it was it's a nine-zero run in a little over a minute. I mean, they were playing really good ball, forcing turnovers and getting out and running. It, it's still Auburn's best offense against Virginia Tech. You know, here's the funny thing, yeah. What I noticed after this game, Auburn's effective field goal percentage in this game was actually higher than what they had against Virginia Tech because I think of the efficiency of Jani Broom. Um, But I mean, why did Auburn comfortably win that game against Virginia Tech? They got a lot of offense, easy offense in transition. This game, their half court execution, a lot of that stuff, App State took care of the ball really well and then, you know, prevented Auburn from getting out and running. But when during the times Auburn was able to get out and run a little bit, get some stops, get some long rebounds, get some transition opportunities. They did play well. Seven App State turnovers the whole game, which is, I mean, I think that you're you're not that's that's probably I I would venture to say that's as low as you're gonna see against Auburn. Like I, I can't probably I mean, so yeah. I mean the thought of someone having six or five turnovers in a game against this team, because that's leading up to the other thing that I was really uh happy to see in this game, which was when Auburn held App State, what was the scoring drought in the final ten minutes or so for App State? Because when Auburn, I think Auburn had them stuck on sixty-two for a really long time, while App State was trying to get 
a little bit, you know, they're trying to grow that lead and get a little bit more comfortable. I think it's when Auburn switches to the zone, right? Yeah, the and matchup they, zone really worked. Yeah. Six minutes, 10 seconds. Uh, they went, Auburn makes the comeback. They have a chance to pull ahead or tie it back up. And they don't, they, they don't get anything out of it. Um, uh, but yeah, that defense, they did adjust. They, you know, they were, some of their man-to-man defense was getting, um, was getting beaten by guys for App State who were making one-on-one plays and hitting tough shots. So they switched to the matchup zone and, and it really, Really just it really took took things over. Like those are good things. Those are good signs. Offensively, though, it just felt like there was a lid on the rim the whole game. I mean, how many offensive boards did Auburn have where they put it right back up and nothing happened with? It? Like they weren't able to take advantage of their, their rebounding. And again, you know, three point shooting in the second half was outstanding for App State. Some of them were open. Quite a few of them were not open, were not wide open at least. Uh and when you do that and you can't hit anything on the other side, it's just going to be hard to win. Like Auburn shooting splits in that game, that's usually the shooting splits you have when you get hammered. Um, instead, they had a chance to win because Auburn's a better team because Auburn's a more talented team. But I also think it's that defense continue to keep them in the game. You know, it it carried them to a win against Virginia Tech. It's carried them at times this season. Um, you know, uh, you go on the road, you go on the road and hold a team to less than seventy. That's not terrible. That's not that, that's not that's never going to be a bad thing, um, but yeah, you're right. Like this is the defense worked some of the some of the switches up there. They just they just couldn't shoot, and this was just a really really cold shooting performance. Uh, and I think the thing that bothers Auburn fans and it makes sense is that they shot poorly from deep against Alabama A and M. They shot poorly from deep against Virginia Tech, and now it's happened for a third game in a row. To the point where this team was top forty in the country the first few games of the year shooting threes. Now they're towards the bottom. Now, just all of a sudden, like that. I still think this is a good shooting team. This can be a good shooting team, and it's like you just got to hit them. You just got to. I mean, there were some, there were some warm up jumpers that they were just missing and just rimming out and not not falling. And it was just, it's just really really tough. Uh, Painter, I wanted to ask you just kind of your general thoughts on on this game and the, this performance because. I think anytime you you're you're a favorite and you lose like this and you lose to a team that's not a power conference team, it it, it stings and it looks rough, probably. But you know, at this point in the year, judging by what's happening around the rest of college basketball, I mean, where where you're kind of where where your thoughts at with this with this team after a loss like this? I'm most curious to hear what y'all think about the rotations Auburn employed today. Um, I think we can all agree that sometimes in basketball, when it's not your night shooting, that you know it makes for a it makes for a difficult matchup. Um, and it would have been nice if Auburn had been able to overcome that. But I think most people understand that's how the sport goes from time to time. But uh, yeah, the rotations. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, Leor Berman getting those early minutes because Katie Johnson did not play in the. first first half and Bruce after the game said he didn't play in the first half because he got that tech at the end of the Virginia Tech game and he said you're not going to play in the first half you're going to set out a half for that um so if that's if that's the bar uh you're going to have now like keep that in mind moving forward I think Katie gave him a spark in the second half in, in some areas there you know there's some mistakes there was that that intentional foul that 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 uh that could have been even worse for Auburn they ended up getting getting a stop off of it I think if I remember correctly but uh, um yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was, uh, and like, you know, again, I don't want to pick on the guy at all, um, especially a guy who's done a lot for Auburn. But like, Leo Berman is a guy that most of the time is not going to be in your normal 10 man rotation. 
and is not a guy that you would consider a quote unquote like regular SEC scholarship player, right? To his credit, though, Leo Bourbon did not play badly in this game. Uh, his plus minus was one of the him and Tate Johnson did really well in this game. So, it, like, the rotation was affected by Katie's absence in the first step, but even then, it wasn't like Auburn was just getting torched when Leo was on the floor. When Auburn made that run there in the second half to cut it back, Leo was on the floor of that. So, even then, like, you had that. I just think this was a case more of, and Bruce said it after the game, it's like guys, guys just got rattled and they they fell into some funks and never snapped out of it. And you just did like, you just did not have enough players playing well in this game. Like, if Auburn's strength is going to be its depth, you need more guys to play good. You don't need ten all stars. You don't need ten, you know, all SEC performances out there. But you can't just have one or two good performances in a game like this because when you're a team that does not have you know, the elite, elite, elite talent, at least, you know, clicking on firing on all cylinders right now, this is where it can really hurt you in a game like this where there's just too many gaps and and not enough guys making plays. I wondered, and I don't stay as plugged into the, um, you know, the, the, the message boards uh, as, as, I, as I used to, but, but this felt like a game where I could see uh, Aiden being sort of scapegoated for some of his shot choices down sure, the stretch yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and 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 if you're if there's a second guess uh you know if there if there's something to question i wonder if you may have pulled aiden earlier right like that's where and and again i haven't seen too much analysis of this but uh you know with painter bringing up the rotations like that that's one where um yeah may, maybe again he's it's he's he's new to college basketball mm-hmm. and it it feels like especially the the games leading up to conference play are really important learning experiences for him uh but you know you could see why you know sometimes folks go with veteran players down the stretch yeah i mean you have a you have a scenario here where you know aiden holloway is in a rough spot right now he's just not his, his shots aren't falling he had such a good start to his career it's not working as much Plus minus wise, he's about even with, with with Trey. Trey obviously played really well in this game at times and uh help Auburn have a have a chance to win this one. Um I would caution against anybody just saying, hey, it needs to be Trey again and all that. Like, don't pull the plug on the on the five star freshman this early. Like that's you know, that's that's not the thing to do at all. Now, do I think Auburn could do could play Trey more? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the two point guard lineup. Again, if they can get more comfortable with one of those guys playing the off-ball role a little bit more frequently in these games, and and there were times where Trey was in the wrong spot. I mean, I think there was one time with a timeout or something like that where Bruce, you could tell Bruce was really getting after Trey for not being in the, in the right spot on one of those plays. And he mentioned that after the game. Yeah, I, I think I think it's one of those things where it's like Aiden Holloway. It's like the, the season's not over, right? You know, you have people saying like, you have people saying like, oh, you know, this is, you know. We, we, this guy wasn't as advertised or yeah. Same thing will be like with Denver Jones, you know, Denver Jones is getting off to a slow start shooting. He was, you know, a guy that was brought in to be more of a, more of carrying more of the scoring load. It hasn't quite happened yet, but it's early. It is still early in the season. Uh, Guys can get better. They're allowed to get better and, and, and get more comfortable over time. Um, I'll give you another example. Chad Baker Mazar had played really, really well this season. Like had, had been playing some really strong basketball. He's two and nine in this game one of five from deep. All right. So, you know, uh, obviously, obviously a game where, uh, you know, unless your name was Janai Broom, 
Um, you know, and, and, and obviously Jedi had his issues. This is a lot of stuff that in trade out. like it just it just wasn't really working that well for you uh, for Auburn on on the offensive end. So be patient with some of these guys. It is going to take some of that time. And it goes back to what I said earlier. Like Auburn's got to find a counter punch. Teams are starting to get a feel of, hey, if we do this to Auburn, they struggle, especially in the half court. What do they do to adjust? What do they do to turn around? The good news is, like I said, you got six more days until you play Indiana. This week, I'm sure, is going to be a lot of hard coaching, hard learning, hard scouting from Bruce Pearl and his team to to figure out, okay, what are we going to do to get back to maybe some of the offense that was working on in the year? But again, I I say all that, and then on top of this, Auburn hits two of those open threes, they win this game. Uh, Auburn hits some of their free throws and win this game. Like even with all the issues, you look at this and sit, sit, sit there and say, like, yeah, this kill still could have been a win. If even with all the issues, if you just do the things that you're supposed to do, there were there were a lot of open looks that just didn't fall in this game, and and Auburn came on the wrong side of it. Yeah, the the one the one thing with I think with Holloway and to an ex, uh, to to a degree with Baker Mazzara. I, you know, I, I think it's and it's reminiscent of our football analysis where it's like it's crucial to avoid predictability, right? You can't be mm-hmm. doing doing one thing to create your shot or doing one leaning on one kind of shot. And so and with both of those guys or, or in coaching, I would say also the, the same action to get guys loose, right? Like, you know, you need to you need to maybe change it up some more times and, and they might be. And again, I'm not I'm not next is a nose expert by any means no but i think with both of those guys too it feels like they have every tool in the toolbox as far as what a scorer needs like they've got the three-point shot they've got the mid-range shot they've got the ability to go to the basket and they're both they they both have made it sensational passes in in their auburn career so i would think it's Mm -hmm. yeah like like you said patience and uh, betting on talent is usually like a, a pretty good idea and and in the case of both of those guys like they've they've got a ton of it yeah auburn 17 assists on 26 made shots in this game like they the ball movement still was pretty good i mean this is still a top five team they are in the country and assist rate like when things were working they were working but i mean again i mean you could point to several different times in this game where either things were forced or even the times that weren't forced Guys are just wide open. You just got to hit it, and they and they didn't, and they didn't, or they have a putback rim out or something like that. So, um, they've got to learn how to kind of counter that. And I do think this is the other thing. This team, and they haven't been in this position really all year. I mean, you go back to the Baylor game, and it was like, well, it was a foul free throw shooting fest down the stretch of that game, so it was a little different. But like, again, people are going to point back to the last couple of years. Auburn's had a hard time closing out these games on offense. They're going to have to learn how to do that and 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 get better at it. And it's like they haven't proven that they could do it yet. So it wasn't as surprising to kind of see them, you know, have those missed opportunities down the stretch, especially with a lineup that that isn't getting, you know, a, a two-point guard lineup that hasn't had a ton of work this season compared to some of the other traditional rotations. Um, but, yeah, how do you learn from it? How do you move on? I don't think anybody's going to sit here and say, you know, Kentucky's doomed because they lost to UNC Wilmington, right? No, they had just come off of really hammering a great Miami team earlier in the year or earlier in the week. Even I don't think anybody's going to sit here and count Villanova or Duke out or Purdue or Marquette for losing the, the winnable games where they were favorites that they had this year. For Auburn as a team that is still learning, still trying to figure out kind of what, how everything's going to click this year, they've got to be able to to assess, adjust, and move forward. What is what is that going to look like? Because um, you have a matchup on Saturday with a 
with a uh, Indiana team um, that will have uh, mostly they've won three straight. They just beat Maryland at home on Friday. They play Michigan on Tuesday night. You'll have the rest advantage. You should have the crowd advantage being in Atlanta. Got to take, got to take, got to take some advantage for off of it. Like you have to be able to learn and adjust and move on. Um, and I, and again, I, I think I personally think this team's got enough shooters and good shooters at that that they're not going to continue to struggle like this, missing open shots. You know the shot the shot selection forcing some things at times, getting in those positions. Yes, that can always be improved, but like it's got to hit shots better than that, and they just they just didn't in this one. Anything else? Anybody got any more more basketball thoughts? We're going on Painter, man. We're good. All right, let's switch over to some football. Uh, before we do that. We'll take care of some quick business. Like I said, ourreserve.com. If you like this show and you want more of it, $5 a month or $50 a year to sign up here in the month of December. If you give a gift subscription this time of year, let me know and you can get some free time added to your account uh, at auburnobserver.com. We will have our next podcast later this week. We will preview Auburn and Indiana uh, that week uh, for, for that as well and any new updates in the world of Auburn football. Painter, how else can they help us out? Please rate, review, subscribe, follow the show wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, you can uh, go to homefieldapparel.com. We're running out of time, folks. You're getting closer and closer. You don't want to you don't want to put your holiday gifts into the hands of the United States Postal Service or FedEx or UPS or whatever. You don't want to you don't want to be cutting it close. So go ahead and get your orders at homefieldapparel.com, the number one place to buy collegiate uh, apparel. We're talking t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, uh, joggers, hats. Quarters bomber, in, bombers, bomber, bomber, jab, jackets. bomber jackets. Yeah, the bomber jackets are the big, uh, the, the the big they're thing the, I keep seeing on hit. social media. Absolutely. Uh, you can also get the official Auburn Observer T-shirt. I'm wearing it right now. Uh, you can get it. Just search Auburn Observer at HomeFieldApparel.com. Fifteen percent off your first order at Homefield when you use the promo code Observer23 at checkout. All right, fellas. I'd love it if nice. Fun. I'd love it if nice to see you became the thing that people could leave in the in the reviews. Nice like that can that you. that could be the nice the, that could be the thing that you yeah. can. Our new reviews say nice to see you, and and you get and you get a, more credit for your review. Um, all right, we got a couple of different directions to go here with football. Do we talk recruiting or bowl first? Dealer's choice, painter. Where do we want to rock? Let's go with Cam Coleman. I think uh, people are understandably excited, not just about recruiting, but this wide receiver class is looking pretty gnarly. It is uh, Cam Coleman uh, committing on Friday afternoon to Auburn, flipping his commitment from Texas A&M. Not much of a surprise that he is not going to A&M, but the timing is really interesting. Auburn's got a little over two weeks to go for early signing period. They go ahead and get a big fish, one of the biggest possible fish you could get. Um, Let's just call it what it is. This is the biggest offensive recruit Auburn has ever landed in the 247 sports composite. Uh, the only two guys rated ahead of him ever, Byron Cowart and Derek Brown. Uh, he now supplants uh, Michael Dyer, and this is again, this is according to the two four seven composite. Uh, but we're talking a top ten talent in the country. We're talking uh, a top three receiver according to most places. Maybe the best player in the state, of Alabama, depending on who you look at. And as I wrote on Saturday morning. Guys, like this one feels like before we talk about Cam Coleman as the player, because it's very important to talk about Cam Coleman as the player. What Cam Coleman flipping to Auburn and if he eventually signs with him in a couple of weeks signifies is it's a it's a 
it's a shift. It's a it's a pretty significant shift away from what we have expected to see at Auburn for the last few years, maybe in the modern recruiting era. And it's twofold. Number one, five star receivers just don't come to Auburn. Okay, they have now gotten a commitment from Coleman and Perry Thompson. Right, they're going to try to flip Ryan Williams from Alabama, and I'm sure that's going to be. A lot tougher now that uh, that that you know Alabama's really want to hold on to him. He could reclassify from that twenty five class to twenty four, but now you've got two of them, and I think that is an obvious sign that even though the results did not line up this season with what Auburn wanted to br- bring to the table in the passing game, it's the belief that with Hugh Freeze and this coaching staff, things could be different at Auburn through the air. They just don't have a track record. They don't have a history of wide receiver, so. You go from having only one five-star receiver, you know, composite five-star receiver ever signed with you. That's Ben Obamanu back in 02, to now you could potentially get two, maybe even three in this class. The second one is this. Guys from Central usually just don't come to Auburn, especially the elite ones. John Broussard Jr. was the last Red Devil to sign with Auburn out of high school, you know, as a as, as a scholarship prospect. Um, those guys have gone to Clemson. Um, Carmelo English ended up going to Michigan after after it was all said and done. Auburn had missed on guy after guy after guy, Justin Ross, EJ Williams. Like there had been a number of those dudes. And we've talked about it in the past. Guys who grow up close to Auburn may want to go somewhere else uh, to play their college ball. And that's usually something that you see. Auburn just, I mean, hey, you can go back to Reuben Foster and Rashawn Evans. Like you can talk about guys that are elite prospects, just not staying close to home and going elsewhere and not picking Auburn. Cam Coleman looks like he's going to be different. And so, Dan, like, those two areas right there, before we talk about Cam Coleman, the player, those are two things that say, even though Auburn went 6-6 and this year, even though they got a lot of work to do to get to where they want to be, there's a sign that things could be changing for the better because this is pretty historically significant to get get a guy like this. This gets back back to the arguments people were making to hire Hugh Freeze in the first place, right? Like, they pointed to when he was the coach at Ole Miss and he was able to turn Ole Miss into a destination for wide receivers in a way that it had never been a destination for wide receivers in the past. I don't have the list in front of me, but Justin, you can probably rattle off some of the Uh-oh. high profile wide receivers that Hugh Freeze landed when he was the head coach at Ole Miss. Uh, Laquan Treadwell, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, uh, you know, Evan Ingram at the tight end spot. Um, just, Plenty, plenty of dudes uh, that ended up, you know, being NFL guys. Yeah, and so if if you freeze, you know, we said at we said when he was hired, you know, if you freeze can turn Auburn into a destination for quarterbacks, and I think especially wide receivers, in a way, not and not just any quarterbacks and wide receivers, but but the, you know, the highest caliber guys, guys with NFL potential out of high school, you know, labeled as potential NFL players out of high school, if Auburn can land those guys in a way that previous coaches couldn't, uh, then, you know, there's the the potential of the Hugh Freeze experiment really paying off. And it seems like these are the kind of guys and Hugh Freeze is, I mean, it's, I guess, reminiscent of Julio Jones and Alabama in that Hugh Freeze in his first real year of yeah. recruiting has multiple five star, you know, you know, rate, rated near the top of the position nationally players at wide receiver right here in the state of Alabama. 
Yeah, and then they get like Perry Thompson flipping him from Alabama, a guy who played at Foley like Julio Jones. I mean, they, yeah, that's you know similar size, similar build. Like those are those are things like that that you that can get you pretty excited. Like Painter, you know, some people know, a lot of people know probably, but eh, no, maybe not everybody. But you, know, you grew up in Auburn. Uh, you were now you were now in the underground bunker, but you grew up in Auburn, and you have seen over the years elite prospects from the area. Guys that Auburn High would play. I mean, Cam Coleman tore up Auburn High twice this year, um, and that's a really good Auburn High defense that he did it to. Go elsewhere, and it just kind of became like a thing where it was like, ah, well, they're probably not going to stay stay at home. It's just one guy, but like, I mean, you, 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 I know you definitely understand and know the significance of what like getting an elite player from Central means. It does feel doubly significant because Auburn just has such a minimal amount of star power, history, production, whatever you want to call it at the wide receiver position. And so I think it's nice if you're a fan to feel like maybe the program's trending in a direction that's a little bit more modern. Now, I say all that and say, look, Auburn's managed to find success without being a team that statistically has had great uh, weapons at wide receiver. Of course, there are exceptions to that. It does feel like, though, that there's going to be not just an influx of talent, but you'd like to think more of a move to to passing the ball, which has certainly become a an important part of winning games. And, and, you know, I guess it ties in slightly with what we've discussed about this basketball team this year, which is that, you know, sure, not every year is Auburn going to be very likely to win a national title. That should be the goal. We all sort of understand the pecking order and that Auburn typically is able to compete about every third, fourth, fifth year for the conference. And if they can do that, then it gets them into to title contention. Uh, but in the meantime, if that's going to be the trend where Auburn's in, in, you know, in contention every couple of seasons, well, at least I would like to watch an exciting, fun style of offense. Yeah. And, and Coleman, I think, will definitely be one of those guys that can help bring that to you. To your point, Painter, and we've talked about it, and, and Freeze even talked about it earlier this year. Thousand yard receivers. He had one pretty much every year at Ole Miss. He had a few. He had. I think he had one or two at, at Liberty as well. Auburn's had two ever, period. And the guy who still leads all the statistical charts at Auburn at wide receiver is a guy that played with Pat Sullivan and t- the great Terry Beasley. Like again, no shade to Terry Beasley, one of the best to ever do it. But like that happened a very long time ago. That happened fifty plus years ago at this point. So. If you're Auburn, you feel like you can take some steps in the right direction. And I think it is a good sign for Auburn that they were able to do that without really doing a whole lot in the passing game this year. Like it was like the proof of concept really wasn't there. We've talked about how Auburn this offseason needed to upgrade at the passing game, the passing game because they didn't do it enough against teams that were quality. Um, and lo and behold, they get to land Perry Thompson and now Cam Coleman without that. So what could you end up doing moving forward? And it's not just those guys. Bryce Kane and Malcolm Simmons are both blue chip guys that most years would be among some of the best receivers Auburn signed in a while. This is a really, really good class. It's the kind of class you need. Both of you guys, correct me if I'm wrong here. Let's see if you agree should, with this. We should, we should file this away, though, real quick about receiver because I'm not sure Auburn. Sure. I think if you added up the top six receivers this year in yardage, I wonder if you get to 1,000. Because it's like I'm, um, I'm, look, I'm looking at it right now. So at let's wide go. receiver. Yeah, you're not counting the tight. Like let's okay. So I've got right, rule I've out got, Valdo. Yeah. 
So so VAR had three forty seven. Jay Fair had three hundred. So we're at about six forty seven. Caleb Burton had one forty eight. Okay. Shane Hooks had one. Shane Hooks had one thirty three. It's nine twenty eight. Malcolm had eighty nine. Okay. And and Camden Brown had seventy eight. That's ten ninety five all told. Okay, those are the top six receivers this season combined for just a little for, over a thousand yards. So, so just and I think maybe that's not necessarily a criticism of any one guy in that group because you do the best with the opportunities you have. But let's remember that number in case with the players coming in and the excitement. Let's see if, if Auburn can get a thousand yard guy in the future. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll remember that ten ninety five was the number you had at the end of the regular season from your top six at, six. at receiver. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up, Dan, because what I was about to say is like, both of you, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know, would you say? Would you agree with me that Auburn's biggest weakness this year on the on offense was at wide receiver? receiver or maybe biggest weakness period was at wide receiver specifically outside receiver i mean would you, would both of you agree with me with me on this yes yeah no i would i would say I would, yeah I, I thought you're wait. i thought you're waiting for us to voice uh <laughs> voice an argument speak now no no yeah, I'm, no. I'm, yeah keep keep going painter you with me you painter you with me here yeah i'll i'll speak uh, up when yeah, i disagree i, I understand keep, keep there going. are some areas that are lacking but that one seemed to be oh, one sure that- that, that plagued them from start to finish. And at least there were some moments for other position groups that while maybe not strengths of the team, you know, they, they showed some promise more so than that, that position did. I mean, your top receivers this season were guys, were two guys that were slot guys. Right. And then you had, I mean, Revolta Fairweather basically was a wide receiver for most of the season. Like he played more snaps out wide than he did at and tight Revol- end or at least, Revolta at least had- split out. Rivaldo had 349. He actually he led the team in receiving yeah. yards uh, this year. I d- I didn't count him in that little experiment we just did because he sure, was... but like but like but like to your point, like that Auburn had to move a tight end out there because that was how lacking they were in kind of the production there on the outside. So, what do you get in a guy like Cam Coleman? What do you get in a guy like Perry Thompson? But Cam Cam Coleman, I mean. Uh, you can read it on uh, at the Observer if you haven't already. But what I wrote on Saturday, I mean, it, it just it it's it's dumb. It's dumb. They're playing. You know, Central's playing for a for a state title Wednesday night uh, in seven A. Um, but to this point, he's played twelve games this year, and Cam Coleman has fifty six catches for twelve hundred and twenty nine yards and seventeen touchdowns. That is a touchdown rate of thirty percent. So almost a third of his catches this year have been for touchdowns. And he's averaging nearly 22 yards a catch. Now, I want to be very I want to be very clear because not everybody's from around here, not everybody knows high school football, uh, especially in the state of Alabama. Cam Coleman plays in 7A, which is the highest classification in the state, the biggest schools in the state. Cam Coleman also plays in the toughest region in the state. Uh, a region where you know, you've got Auburn and Central and uh, Opelika, Dothan and Enterprise are all teams that usually fight for playoff spots. One of them gets left out. Opelika has been really good the last couple of years, especially on defense. Have some dudes that are like Brenton Williams, who who's on Auburn's team right now, SEC caliber player. Um, it's the kind of region had, where it's the kind of region where Prattville can can fall yeah, off because of who. The, yeah, I mean because of who yeah, they're. Prattville's who they're falling off. Okay, so like to that point, 
Opelak has been really good the last couple of years. They haven't even made the playoffs, right? So week made in a, and week out, a, you get that really made tough a coaching stuff. Change. Really, made, made a coaching yes. change this season, yeah. Yeah. And then you have the two the two public school the big two big public schools in Montgomery that, you know, uh there have been there have been some years there have been some years where they've been up, especially the former Lee, but you know. Anyway, what I'm saying is is that you're playing some of the best of the best. Uh the Birmingham region is pretty tough. You've got Thompson, you got Hoover, you got Spain Park, you got these teams. The Mobile and the Huntsville region in seven A just usually isn't as stout. But this is a region like where you can make the argument, at least, that the best high school football in the state of Alabama is being played in that area, in this little southeastern south corridor of the state of Alabama in 7A. Um, and so he's doing this to get some really good teams. Like, again, I in, 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 in complete transparency, I have a sibling of mine who is on staff at Auburn High. He's on the defensive staff at Auburn High. Auburn High has done a really, really good job the last few years of having one of the better defenses in the state. Um, he, I will, I will say this, this all Cam Coleman, he being Cam Coleman put up 200 yard games against him. They just didn't have an answer for him. So this kid is making crazy plays on a regular basis against really good competition in the state of Alabama. And you watch him on film and you see a guy that is just at six, three can take a top off a of defense. His best attribute. If you watch him on film is going up and just getting the football. It's his. He's, his ball skills are top-notch. The amount of times he catches a ball through double coverage or you know high point note over somebody or catching a fade or you know mossing somebody, like it's a really, really high hit rate. And that is the type of receiver, again, Auburn does not have, has not had that in a while. I think Seth Williams has really been the last guy that did that. I'm not saying Cam Coleman is going to come in immediately and do that from a freshman at the SEC level, but I'm saying is, I get it's his peers right now. He's doing insane stuff. So that you think year two, three down the line, he has that edge already. What could he do on top of that? It's that it's that skill set. It's some of the, those intangibles that it's just it's special. It is special to watch. In a related uh, story to Cam Coleman uh, committing to Auburn, uh, when you get this Monday morning, it's Portal Monday. Right, like to, tomorrow is the. I mean, Monday is the is the day that the transfer portal officially opens. I would, I would imagine, on top of the names that have already declared from Auburn, you should expect uh, some players to uh, to move on. And and I would think wide receiver is a position where some of the veterans with eligibility remaining uh, who don't like uh, their uh, their 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 chances of playing time moving forward might decide to to go try their luck elsewhere. I think Auburn could use some wide receiver receiver too in the portal. I think somebody established could really help, especially if you're you're going to pair, say, Coleman and Thompson and Kane and Simmons and potentially Ryan Williams if they could flip him, which would be again, it'd be a really you know really tough effort to do that from Alabama um, again. Uh, But I think it would help to pair them with somebody that has done it before, maybe at the Power Five level or just more consistently. Um, and Auburn, and Auburn. I mean, again, don't want to pick on the guys too hard, but like, you just didn't get much out of your transfer receivers this year on the outside, except for Caleb Burton. Caleb Burton, more of a slot guy, and that's the thing about Auburn. It's like when you talk about raising the talent level, Auburn needed to go out and get a group of five guys, FCS guys, to have a team this year, to have a competitive football team. But getting guys like Caleb Burton and getting these guys out of high school, like that, raises the talent level. Like stars. 
stars aren't always perfect on the micro level, right? I mentioned that Byron Cowart's the highest rated player that's ever ever signed with Auburn. We all know that Byron Cowart's Auburn career did not turn out that way. Derrick Brown's did. Byron Cowart's didn't. But on a macro level, it's usually pretty obvious. The more you get in star power, the more you get in talent, usually the better chances you have of competing for championships. It is a requirement. It is not the is not a guarantee. Hello, Texas A&M. But it's usually a requirement at the door. It's one of the for things example. that teams in the playoffs seem to have in common year after year, right? Yep. 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 I mean, you'll have a TCU. You'll have a you'll have a Cincinnati. But are you going to consistently compete year in and year out? You need to have that. And I, and I said, and I've said it recently and written it recently. Ole Miss and Missouri this year both proved that you can have really good seasons in the SEC without necessarily recruiting at an elite level, right? But if your aspirations are to be a championship team long term and do it consistently, knowing that you are playing Alabama and Georgia year in and year out, um, you need to have that. That has to be the door. It's not going to guarantee you, and you can win without it. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's like recruiting is so vital and is so necessary it doesn't solve all your problems but like it's hard to it's hard to go into the arms race without it as tcu saw last year tcu was a great story in a great year and they got absolutely wiped off the face of the earth by georgia in that title game because it was that was just two totally different types of talent playing against each other justin what do you think is the shopping list since tomorrow's or today's portal monday like what what strikes you as the priority for uh for, for hugh freeze with the portal opening up. I keep going back to defensive line and edge rusher. Like you can combine those efforts. You know, you've already lost a couple of guys, depth pieces, like guys for the future uh, out of the portal. Um, I, I would be surprised if Marcus Harris came back next year, just because I think he had a, a good enough year where he could probably go pro. Um, you've got a bunch of other guys who played for you this year who, who could be, you know, towards the end of their careers. And then you've got Keldrick Falk, and you would love to bring Jalen McLeod back on the edge as well, uh, but like you're losing Elijah McAllister, like that is a position group that is l- already losing a lot and could be losing even more. And that was also a position group that was thin to begin with and did not have the down to down production that Auburn really needs. I think to hang full term, you know, in 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 the SEC. I go back and we'll talk about them later. But like I go back, I mean, that Florida State pass rush the other night. Saturday night, just everybody getting involved there for them. So Auburn needs needs to get more like that. They need to have all those type of weapons to get after quarterbacks. I think that's a big priority. We already mentioned wide receiver. I think defensive back, if you could get that Florida State team almost had Keldrick Falk on it too. You think about that. That's where that's where he was that's where he was going until Auburn flipped him. Yeah. And Auburn could give him more playing time early, but yeah, absolutely. Um defensive back is another position group that you know, uh, you know, you're losing a lot. You've got young guys that you really like, but maybe a, a spot there too. And I mean, we talked about it in the last podcast, and folks can kind of go back and listen to all of our our takes on it from there. But like, quarterback is going to be another one that everybody's going to have their eyes on. Offensive line, I, I did want to say something about the offensive line real quick. Auburn is going after a, a JUCO player too, pretty hard right now, and I wonder they're going to you know they bark up that tree again, maybe get a guy or two from the portal. Like they're not going to have to rebuild their offensive line completely through the portal this year. But but you know, you've got an you've got an opportunity there, 
if you're Auburn to kind of do something something pretty special with your with your offensive line moving forward if you can build on some of the progress you made this year and continue to raise that level develop those guys for the future so that's kind of where I'm seeing in the, in the portal but it's gonna be fascinating for sure I think I don't think there's a position group for Auburn where you can say yeah they don't need anybody like from the high school ranks and in the in the in the transfer portal like this roster from top to bottom across the board just needs to get better I mean you were six and six you should have been better than six and six this year um what are you going to do to push forward? Because six and six is not going to be an acceptable, like that's not going to be an acceptable uh, kind of team here, uh, you know, moving forward for Auburn. So it'll be interesting to keep out. But yeah, Cam Coleman, check out the uh, the breakdown at the Observer if you haven't already. There's a lot of film in there, a lot of numbers in there. Dude's different. Him and Perry Thompson, that could be, I mean, that could really help Auburn in a lot of ways. And again, like it might take some time. They might not become household names in year one, uh, but you feel like you're in a really good, you see some of these teams that have like Washington's a great example. We know the Alabama teams have done it. Ohio State's definitely done it over the years where it's just like they get these elite recruiting classes or these, you know, really great receivers all at the same time. And then by year two or by year three, they are just, they're just monsters to match up with just nightmare just nightmare uh uh you know fuel for the defense so be interested to see how uh how auburn pulls all that together and again uh, you know, i think free said it last week where he was like look you know you can uh you can flip you know you're, you're never truly out of it for the elite guys those competitions all the way go, go all the way to the end and i think that's going to be the case with some of the guys auburn's got committed right now too so they're gonna have to they're gonna have to work hard to to get get uh, their name on the dotted line here uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, bowl games, folks, back to back to Nashville. Auburn should have a pretty good crowd there playing Maryland, and uh, what I am going to officially refer to on this here program as the Josh Vitale Bowl. Music City Bowl is going to be Auburn versus Maryland. Um, interesting game. Uh, I think Auburn and Maryland both have a couple of things in common in the fact that. Uh, they both of these teams had moments and times this year where they took really good teams down to the wire and like played really good four quarter games with them. So it's interesting to pair these two teams up in uh, in Nashville. But um, I think Auburn fans are going to be pretty excited to go back to Nashville. It should be an easier trip for a lot of folks to make. And also, it's not right after Christmas. Like that Texas Bowl was going to be a nightmare to have to deal with. Um, so you get a little few days after that. But folks, fellas, both of you. Auburn, Maryland, and the, and the music Bowl. We'll talk about it. We'll preview the game in uh, in earnest, you know, over the next few weeks. But uh, thoughts on uh, thoughts on drawing the Terps in, uh, in in the Music City? I was a little bit surprised that Auburn was not more heavily favored. Yeah, it's interesting. Maryland this season, they had you know they have, obviously have Talia Tagovailoa. Tag- Maryland started the year five and zero, oh, and then lost. Let's see. They lost five out of their last five of their next six. They beat Nebraska by three, and then they beat Rutgers to end the season. Um, had some really, I've, really I've close losses. Seen, I've only seen numbers on the playoff games. Is is there is there a, a is is Auburn favored? Is is there a, a number that you're referring to, Painter? What what is the? I saw two and a half. Okay, I believe it opened at three. I'm looking at Action Network right now. It's uh, according to FanDuel, it is Auburn by three right now. So I would, I guess my biggest concern about analyzing a bowl game on bowl Sunday is that we don't know who's playing and you could, you could find out that, that a key piece of your analysis is a healthy scratch because uh, he's going into 
the draft or the portal or he didn't feel like going to Nashville or whatever. He overslept and missed an exam, you know, like, you know, whatever, whatever happened. But uh, but yeah, I, I would think Auburn, I don't know, it'll, it'll be interesting. Auburn versus uh, uh, Tonga Vailoa. Is, is he uh, or is that? We'll see if he plays. I would is, think he might. I mean, he became the Big Ten's all time leading passer, uh, which is crazy to think because he didn't even start his career at Maryland. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, with second team all Big Ten this year uh, by both coaches and the media, like this is a is going to be a test, and we will see. Like you said, who's all going to play for Auburn? They've got a secondary that's got quite a few guys that could be playing in the uh, playing in the pros here soon. Do they sit out? Do they come back? What? what we've already heard Q Freeze talk about wanting to play more younger guys. And again, like I, I don't think it's one of those things where it's like if you're Auburn, like it's a must win, like anything really drastically changes in the grand scheme of things if you win or lose this game but like it's the potential to end with a winning record and not have three straight losing seasons and you know you got rid of a coach that didn't have a losing record and then you have three straight losing seasons like that's that's that that ought to show you just kind of how tough things have been here recently for Auburn I would agree like it it really just puts a positive spin on the end of the season you're right it doesn't effectively change the way I'd view this staff or the direction that Auburn is heading in. Um, and there's a, an asterisk need needs to be applied here, but Auburn hadn't won seven games since 2019. And I'll also go point out, we've talked about this before. I know Painter in our various mediums, uh, media uh, from, from over the years, like bowl games can be feel so disconnected from the regular season. Like when people, when people use Gus's bowl record against him, I was just kind of like, okay. I, it just felt like you were kind of grasping straws there. Like there were things to point out that you didn't like about the way things went at times, especially towards the end with Gus Malzahn's tenure without saying like, oh, and they didn't win the exhibitions either. Like, eh, okay. Um, but, you know, it is kind of a, it is kind of a vibes thing more than anything else. And, and to your point, um, last season, uh, Oklahoma, uh, is a great example of this. Oklahoma loses three out of their last four in the regular season and then loses to Florida State in the Cheez-It Bowl uh, and goes six and seven, losing year. They turn around and, and have a pretty good year this upcoming year. So again, like I don't think losing that game against Florida State last year changed anything for Oklahoma. And you, it, they show they could kind of bounce back from that. But yeah, it just needs to kind of... Bowl games need to be put in the proper perspective, especially in this day and age where more and more guys are opting out, more and more guys are going to the portal at this time. And it's pretty chaotic. And Freeze has already made it sound like, A, he's not going to really overwork the dudes down in bowl season. And B, he wants to use this as an opportunity to get young guys, you know, good quality, you know, reps. How about this, Justin? Name a young player who didn't see the field very much this season for Auburn that you think could have a chance to play in the bowl game and maybe make a case to have a larger role on the team next year. I think any of the DBs, I think, you know, Terrence we saw Love, a lot of, Tyler, we saw Scott, a lot of, there was K, a lot of, K and Lee, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was going to say Champ and, Anthony, and Champ too, Anthony yeah. too. Yeah. We saw a lot of K and Lee and Champ Anthony towards the end of the year, but those young safeties, those young corners definitely are, are ones to keep an eye on. Um, I think if, if anybody could kind of step up at that defensive line spot uh, from your, from your young guys, that would be significant. And then I'll look to, uh, again, we saw them this year. It's not like we didn't see him. We didn't see him, but like, is is a bowl game an opportunity to see more of Jeremiah Cobb? Like, just it, it, you know, do you do you find ways to get him involved a little bit more? I would throw um, 
I would throw Dylan Senda into the mix, a, a true freshman who I like that joined the team, you know, during fall practice. But Tyler guy, Johnson, yeah, heard a I lot would, about him this 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 off uh, this season uh, with his work kind of on the scout team and whatnot. Don't know how much uh, Jamison Travis played this season. Uh, he was also sort of a late addition. Not sure how many total snaps he ended up with. Wilkie Denod had the legal situation that popped up. I don't know if he played a snap uh, this season. And usually that you know that could be trouble because you know th- those those are the kind of players that often tend to move on. But Wilkie Denod was somebody that people were very excited not a young, about. Not a, not a very young player, but J.D. Ram also had the situation with him this year, or he, yeah. he didn't. Yeah, ended up probably getting redshirted. I think it would uh, be it was all said and done. I think it would be a great situation if either of those guys were able to work their way into playing time in the bowl game because yeah. it would show that they're in. DJ Reed is another one. A lot, of, a lot of hype around him kind of early on. Um, you know, redshirted this year on a behind a veteran defensive line. So, yeah, and, that, those are all those are all good spots. Does Holden count? Yeah, I mean, like that's again like Holden, Holden Garner, Hank Brown. Like, do you see any of these guys, or do do, do at least the reps help out for them uh, in in practices? Because you know, more than just the game itself. So those will be those will be ones to keep an eye on for sure. All right, fellas, uh for you, we, we we have to talk about we have to talk about the playoff. Like <laughs> we we have to. I think it's more of a burn it down and never, you know, never speak of it again kind of thing. If Texas wouldn't have gotten in and Alabama would have gotten in. You know, if they would have picked if they'd have picked Alabama over Texas and Texas was left out after Texas won at Bama in the regular season. Probably more of a case to burn it all down. But Florida State not getting in as an undefeated ACC champion is insane to me. And this is not a case of like, oh, you know, and I know there's going to be naturally people who make the argument. But it's like, ah, I cover Auburn. You don't want Alabama, blah, blah, blah. I don't care about that. It could be anybody. It could be USC. It could be. It could be anybody in those situations. Um, you know, it could have been Ohio State or Georgia. The problem I have with not having Florida State in is that you are punishing a team for having their kid, their 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 quarterback, break his leg, something that he has zero control over, and looking different because of it. And that's that bothers me. Because then you have Jordan Travis going on Twitter and saying, I wish I would have broken my leg earlier this year, which is an insane thing for anybody to ever be in a position to say. Right. And you can talk about, I'm not the first person to make this point. I can't remember who all made it, made it earlier uh, on Sunday, but this, you can't talk about player mental health and like looking out for their well being, And then just saying, Hey, Hey, Jordan Travis, um, the thing that happened to you, you the worst thing that's ever happened to you on a football field that you had no control over. That's the reason why all of your your friends and all of your teammates aren't playing for a national title game. Like, how are you supposed to deal with that? And yes, is as they are currently constructed right now, is Alabama better than Florida State? Sure. But it's most deserving, best. It's where you screw up with all this nomenclature about like what like what words to use to pick the team. It's just Florida State couldn't have done anything else. And they won every game that was in front of them, unlike Alabama, who lost a game, lost a game to a playoff team. And I'm not saying Alabama isn't a playoff caliber team. I'm not saying that at all. I am saying, though, what? why did Florida State even try against Louisville 
why did that defensive why did that defensive line you know make make the plumber kids life a living nightmare uh so much to carry them to a win if this was going to be the end result why try why try once your quarterback goes down and you know your offense is going to be isn't going to be that good for the rest of the year and you have your backup go get knocked out too hey why try anymore who cares you know hey it all comes down to the quarterback and like that's really really dumb for to to look at instead of a whole body of work at least auburn in 2004 was passed over by two undefeated teams right like it wasn't yes. it yes. wasn't an, it wasn't an 11 and 1 usc team getting in over undefeated auburn in 2004 and it's just a it's brutal i think the most fair thing to do would have been to take the three undefeated teams in texas and i don't say that as somebody who is rooting against alabama i'm saying it would have required just, the least amount of justification Right. I think to, to take the three undefeated conference champions and then look at Texas and Alabama and say, you both won your conference. You're both 12 and one Texas. You won in Tuscaloosa earlier this year. And ultimately, that should trump a lot of the other categories in the beauty pageant. So, yeah, I, I think taking the three undefeated teams in Texas. Now, are those the four best teams in the country, in my view? Uh, no, like, I no. don't I don't think so. But it, but ultimately, like, that's that's so eye of the beholder. And I mean, I kind of think, yeah, I mean, if, if look, the four best teams in the country might be Georgia, Bama, Michigan and Ohio State. Right. But yeah. that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that should be your playoff field what, based why play on the games. Why play I, the games? I, 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 I use and I don't use this term lightly. I agree with Norvell when, when he when he says that that folks were cheated. In this instance, yeah. and I, the conspiracy theorist in me keeps going back to, does this have to do with ESPN's relationship with the SEC or does this have to do with ESPN and or the college football playoff committee wanting Alabama because they view Alabama as a better television product for a semifinal and a final than Florida State in, that was in the this state? That was the thing that was bo bothering me last night or Saturday night was the amount of people are saying, well, I hope Florida State loses because I don't want to have to watch them play. OK, here's the thing. This is not a game. You know, we're trying to determine a champion here. We've lost the point of sports. Uh, yes, I know that this is all about TV and like this is, you know, they, it runs the sport. This is just what college football has become now. But like you're trying to determine a champion and there's there's 85 plus guys on that Florida State team that did everything they could to get into a position to be in the national championship picture. And every other year, that has been enough in this playoff system, and it still didn't matter. And it's like, well, the game probably wouldn't have been as good because they had an injured quarterback. It's like, okay, that's that. it's not fair to, to do that to, to a team like that, right? And again, why play the games? A Boo Corgan came out and said, like, today he's like, well, we look at it from a coaching perspective. Who would you rather not want to play? Well, heck, I'd rather not want to play Ohio State. I don't want to face Marvin Harrison Jr., but you don't see everybody trying to jam Ohio State into the in the playoff. Hey, look, if they all play according to how good they were on paper, no one should have wanted to play Texas A&M this year. No one should have wanted to play Georgia. Why not Georgia? I know they didn't. I know they lost to, to, to Bama on Saturday, but like. They're the team that, that nobody wants. They just won back-to-back -back national titles in 29 games in a row. It's just you, all of this logic completely falls apart. If you could just be transparent and just say, hey, hey, 
we want to maximize the ratings. And if we put Florida State in there and we send a backup quarterback to the Wolves, it might not be as good and more people might not watch and it'll be a boring game, blah, blah, blah. Like, again, it's not the fact that Alabama made it. And I don't think that Alabama is a bad. They won the SEC. They beat Georgia. That's great. But did they deserve to be ahead of Florida State? No, I don't think so. What else could you have done at this point? And now you're just hastening. I think you're hastening a lot of a lot of change in college football. Like the ACC is going to be done in in short order after this. Why even stay? Man, Florida State should just go back to being independent or do whatever, create their own sport. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's also an indictment of the teams in the ACC that maybe don't prioritize football at a national championship or conference championship level. Because and and not and again not to defend the exclusion of sure. Florida State because I think Florida State should have been in. <laughs> it is like funny said, though because like the SEC sucked this year, like yeah. from what yeah. it usually is. Like this was a down year for the league. They didn't have enough teams to fill their their bowl slots. It's it's disappointing, and I um I can't believe Bama isn't the overwhelming favorite to win it all because I've I mean look this You've is seen team, this movie before this is team of destiny stuff man like yeah. the fourth and 31 yeah. and then they beat Georgia like of of course of course Alabama is going to win it all like this is I don't Better. know I Better, did you see the video of Michigan reacting to finding that Alabama was number four? Yeah, it's one of the funniest booing. things. Yeah, there was some booing, and then I think people were like, "We should probably clap to pretend like we're here for this competition." But and it's like nobody wants that, and I don't necessarily blame them. Oh, and also it's like Michigan and Alabama at the Rose Bowl is like the most like it's the most like could we could we invent more of a college football thing than that? And it's like, oh, that's gonna look great. It's like, okay, but like, I'm of the opinion. Do y'all agree with this? Florida State shouldn't play in this bowl game against Georgia. They should. They should decline the yeah. invitation and say we're national champions. Sorry, we're claiming it. Bye, everyone. I've, I've talked with people about this, and and I guess you know the extra practices, and and it's still got some level of prestige because of the bowl game that they're playing in. But I, I do think there is a part of me that wants them to just cross their arms and pout and be like, no, thank you. We're going to practice anyway, regardless, because the NCAA is toothless. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I do believe everything that the university would do for this team in the event of a national championship, they should do parade yes in, yeah. in tallahassee uh, uh you know recognize them at at the halftime of the next big home basketball game like ev- everything you would do for a team that wins yeah. the national championship i think this florida state team deserves from that university and this coaching staff deserves at at the very least i know and a lot you know i don't know if this is widespread knowledge that the auburn 2004 uh, uh bowl ring says says national champion yeah. on it to the to the players yeah. and i w- i would have no problem with you know with with, with any recognition hey, for ucf them. did it yeah i mean it's and and people can debate whether or not it's a it's a real national championship or not but i think in the case of this like so, so, yeah. celebrate celebrate this team and celebrate the conference championship as you would the national championship if you're not going to get a chance uh to to uh to, to play for the actual national championship I, I may need to correct myself. I'm not sure if the Michigan folks in the ballroom were actually booing, but there was like a groan, I, and and maybe that's <laughs> yeah. a better way to. It was like to word it was it like more booing. of like a. It was like because like yeah, if you think you're gonna play Florida State, you're like, 
okay, we're going to play their backup quarterback, and we've got a defense that's just been mowing everybody down right now. Like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> it's like, actually, you play this team that feels like it's just being protected from every from everything bad happening to them right now. Um, and like, Dan, you spent your formative years in the Florida panhandle. I, I spent my formative years in South, in like extreme South Alabama, not too far from Florida. Do you know how hard it is to make Florida State feel like a sympathetic figure? And they figured it out like they had to do Like Florida State is not a team that you're just like, oh, man, poor Florida State. Most people would love to just revel in the misery of Florida State. Um, well, and Florida State was also from, time. from 1988 to 2013 or so. They were so rarely an underdog. Right, like they were yeah. so rarely coming from a position. I mean, there's a program that went. It's about that fan base. It's a it's a very brash fan base. It's a very proud fan base, and it's like, and now everybody feels sorry for you. They went. They went about seven years without losing an ACC game. Right, in 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 the '90s. I mean, it was. I mean, what what that program's been able to do in the past. Yeah, it's it's rare to make them. It's difficult to make them a sympathetic figure. But no, I think uh, if they if they play Georgia, you know that that's that's a game where you know it feels like they're. They're going in with sort of an America's team, uh, you know, kind of, kind of mentality. I know that. I know that. I know that terms get. And what is it, and what does Georgia look like coming into this game? They thought they had a real shot at three peating and doing something that like doing something unprecedented. We've seen teams in Georgia's position uh, lay an egg in bowl games because oh, they yeah. they thought they were going to be playing for something much bigger than uh, the 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 championship of a New Year's Six bowl. All right, that'll do it for this podcast. Got a lot, got a lot to cover there. We will be back later this week. We will talk. Uh, we'll talk Auburn, Indiana basketball. We'll probably talk some transfer portals, some recruiting stuff as well. You can tune in for that. Uh, if you are a subscriber, like I said, five dollars a month or fifty dollars a year. That discounted rate is going through the end of December. If you have a gift subscription and you buy one for someone else, let me know. I can add some time on your account. That'll do it for me. Appreciate everybody for listening and for reading and for subscribing. Painter, final thoughts. Dan, food stuff for this segment. Let's do food stuff for 500 points. Well, I know, I know uh, Justin in Boone uh, posted some some interesting looking stuff to the uh, uh, to to the to the Instagram feed, and and I was I was in Memphis this past weekend, and I'll be in Athens, Georgia uh, this week. In fact, I'm staying downtown Tuesday night in Athens, so I'm uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to to yeah venturing out. But I you can get. Yeah. If you if you can get to Mama's Boy in Athens on Wednesday on for 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 breakfast, go do that. That's that's my that's my top and recommendation. I'm, I was told someone else tipped me off to South, which is uh-huh. uh, which is downtown, and I was told about. And here's a, a beautiful four word phrase, guys: duck fat tater tots on the menu at uh at, at South. Oh, what, wow. what do you what do you think what what do you think of that one? Uh, that that sounds right up my alley. Yeah, Boone. Shout out to Boone. I I. I think the best way to describe Boone is if you took a college town like a like downtown Boone, it's like a small college town, and then you mashed it with like a small southern traditional like mountain town, so like those kind of vibes. It's a pretty good little crossover. It's not big by any means. It's not a big place, uh, but a lot of great little spots. Enjoyed walking around, seeing a lot of stuff. The weather was miserable on uh, on on Saturday night, uh, but. Um, you know, I really enjoy my time. And yeah, Lost Province Brewing Company. If you're ever there in Boone, uh, I was scrolling through a bunch of recommendations to eat dinner in Boone. And I kept seeing that one. 
So I looked at their menu and I was looking at a different, a few different menus and something caught my eye. It was a pork chop sandwich. So it was basically, it was a sweet tea brine pork chop. Uh, they put in a, put in a, put in a pan, get, got it nice and hot. No, it wasn't deep fried or anything like that. And then the sandwich had, um, a hot pepper peach jam and whipped goat cheese and some, and some homemade bacon, like some house bacon and a little, uh, and a little lettuce for some, for some extra texture. And let me tell you, it's one of the best sandwiches I've had in a while and, uh, all for it. So if you're ever in Boone, Boone's awesome. There's a lot of great places that I wish I could have checked out. I wish I had time for lost province though. A plus a plus. And then also real quickly before we go, We've talked about this, like I think Christian on uh, the podcast we have with Christian, where we're talking about like what what can we bring to Auburn that we don't have right now. Uh, Dan or Painter, have you? I think this is only in the Carolinas and maybe a couple other places. Have you ever heard of a chain called Viva Chicken? I do not know no. Viva Chicken. No, Viva Chicken's unfamiliar to me. So Viva Chicken's right by my hotel here that I'm staying at here in South Carolina for the night, and I and I rolled over there before we started recording. Viva Chicken is a Peruvian rotisserie chicken joint. You can get like half chickens. You can get like quarter chicken, whole chicken. You can get, they have a bunch of different sides. They have like, like some rice dishes and stuff like that. Um, bunch of different types of sauces. Very, very fresh, very flavorful. So um, I'm going to put Viva Chicken down on the list that, uh, that we need to get one closer to Auburn because, uh, you know, we have a ton of chicken finger places. Obviously, we have a lot of chicken places in general, but the rotisserie, Peruvian rotisserie chicken. I mean, I think those are two very unique things that we just don't have enough of. So I'm going to ride for Viva Chicken. So is this knife and fork uh, chicken? Do you, do you serve it over rice or, or how, how is so Peru- I got how a Peruvian plate. chicken? Yeah, yeah, I, I got a half chicken because uh, I didn't eat much today. I had a half chicken. Got a side of green beans that were very, very good. And then a side of like this, like Peruvian rice. And it just came in kind of a box. And, you know, you can eat it. I, I ate it with my hands. Uh, but, you know, it was just rotisserie, just very smoky, kind of just really, really good stuff. And I just, I don't know. It's a chain. Apparently, there's a bunch of them in the Carolinas. And I think there's a couple in Georgia now. Uh, I think Utah has some as well. I'm all for it. I, I, I think it, it's just something different. It's just something different that you can't get a lot, a lot of places and like a little bit, a little bit healthier. So Viva Chicken, Viva Chicken, if you're listening, Auburn, think about it. We're getting everything else. Bring, br- bring your Peruvian rotisserie chickens to us. <laughs>